Welcome to InVibe Live Conversations with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. By tuning in, you are joining a community that will inspire you to increase balance, wellness, and joy in your life. We'll offer expert information and insightful conversations to help us on our journey to live more in vibe. For more information and articles, remember to also check out our website at invibelife.com. That's E-N-V-I-B-E-L-I-F-E.com. We're grateful that you're here. Hi, and welcome to the InVibe Life Conversations podcast with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. We are joined today by our friend, my neighbor, Dr. Denise Brown. Yay! <laughs> Hi, guys. How's it going? So we're starting, or we hope to be starting, kind of a new series with Denise. And it's we're calling it something like Ask Dr. Denise. I feel like we should have some fancy music come in. Like, <laughs> oh, I want a theme song. Yeah, like, <laughs> that sounds good. Okay. What should your theme song That's the first question. What should Denise's Ooh, theme wow, song be? That, we're getting right into it. Okay. Um, staying alive? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, staying alive is, is a sort of an all-time... Yeah. Medical classic. There you I think go. We can just, I think that's a medical I mean, classic. Mama <laughs> loves her some disco, so let's stick with that. I mean, boom. We done. All right. We are women of action. That's good. Okay. Next question. But, <laughs> but anyway, we'll bring Dr. Denise on from time to time is our thoughts. For any questions we're having out there, maybe anything she can help explain, or we're getting some viewer questions or tips, tips for staying healthy, for staying alive might be a great one. There you go. Um, I like it. And so we wanted to start today by introducing you all to Dr. Denise. Um, Dr. Denise is an internist, and we wanted to talk first about what is that? What does it mean to be an internist? Because I think I think this is a question that actually a lot of people have. And are scared to ask. It's like we hear all these, uh, this enterologist mm-hmm. and then this earnest or is yeah. or that. Yeah. And we don't, we kind of throw the terms around, but I don't know if we really, really know what they mean. Yep. So what is an internist? How is that different from your general practice doctor sure. or family doctor? Makes sense. So there's lots of ologists. And so the quick and dirty way to know if someone's an ologist of any kind is they at least started with internal medicine residency training. And then they probably went on to do uh, a fellowship in something. So gastroenterologist is, you know, stomach and GI tract. Cardiologist is heart. I already Pulmonologist is lungs, right? Very good advice. <laughs> so, so here's how it goes, right? So you go to college and then you go to medical school or osteopathic medical school, either one. And then you go to a residency and for um, lots of different things. There can be all kinds of stuff. So when you're in, in medical school, it's kind of like the trunk of the tree. And then you sort of start branching off. So you might be really interested in family medicine. That's a separate residency. Emergency medicine, separate residency. Maybe you want to be a surgeon. That's a separate branch of the tree. Um, or you want to go into internal medicine. And internal medicine is really... What I always have loved about it is it's kind of like the problem-solving, you know, Sherlock Holmes kind of type um, environment. So you're trying to figure out mysteries. And so you have to listen about what's wrong with you and what does it look like and what do the data show me? And then I have to kind of put all the pieces together to come to solve the mystery. So, for example, things like, quite honestly, heart attacks, strokes, stomach ulcers, weird vessels in your leg, diabetes, high blood pressure kidney problems, liver problems, all of that would kind of fall under the internal medicine umbrella. Okay. 
All right. So then you've got, but then because Lord knows that's not straightforward enough, you know, we should make it even more clear. You have people who deal with folks in the outpatient setting, like you make an appointment, you go to see them in the clinic or something like that. And then you have people nowadays who just see people in the hospital who are sort of acutely ill. And as I did my residency training, what I discovered was I really, I like the energy of trying to figure stuff out in a concentrated time frame. So I really struggled as I was finishing medical school. Did I want to do emergency medicine or did I want to do internal medicine? And I ended up picking internal medicine because I do like that kind of like sleuthing aspect. And I also like the ability to have a little bit more of a relationship with a patient mm -hmm. and their families and stuff. Whereas emergency medicine is really chop, chop, chop right. really quick. Mm -hmm. But I kind of found the best of both worlds by doing what we now know as hospitalist medicine. So that means you're sick enough to be in the hospital. You got to spend the night or maybe a couple of nights. Um, and you're going to have a doctor who's going to be taking care of you. And, and those people are sort of additionally trained to deal with what we would call acutely ill. So the sicker of the sick patients, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So that's what I've spent sort of a 20 plus year career doing. And what I like about it is you got to, you got to think quickly. You got to be able to make decisions based on often incomplete information. Mm -hmm. um, and so experience. And then also more, most importantly, your ability to connect with someone is really what matters because people don't necessarily feel comfortable telling their doctors everything, or they've had a really bizarre experience and, you know, they're kind of like jaded from that or, and, and or scarred from that. And so the most important part of my job has always been, how can I make you feel as comfortable as possible in the moment, knowing that you're already having a pretty crappy day or you wouldn't be seeing me. And, um, how do I, how do I make you feel sort of cared for and, and held and honored? And then that's when I get to the real nut of the problem. That's beautiful. So that's awesome. That's bedside manner. I wish every yeah. doctor felt like that. Totally. But I want to ask the opposite. So to foster that same relationship, what should the patient and the patient's family yeah. do or how should they yep. come into the situation? Yep. Um, so I think it's always tricky, right? Because if you're coming into an unplanned situation, your emotions are already yeah. well. That's, know, true. Sky high, that's yeah. true, right? And that's different. That is different, yeah. but it isn't necessarily mm -hmm. right but it's because true. people, when they don't feel good, you're not getting their best self. Well, no one's getting their best selves. So, so I am um, lucky enough to help run a very large physician partnership that's all over the country. And one of the things that we really try hard to make sure that we're constantly teaching our doctors and our nurse practitioners and our advanced providers is, you know, pretend it's you in the bed or your mom or your sister, or your girlfriend, or, you know, whomever it is. Um, people are not patients. People are people. Mm -hmm. So if you put that in your head first and you, we're all going to interact like we're people, then I think that changes the dynamic. I think there's a lot of, I mean, I'll try not to swear, but there's pretty messed up <laughs> power dynamics in the house of medicine that are kind of cultural holdovers, right? From the patriarchal, I am the doctor, the nurse will do what I say, the patient will do what I say, I am the person who knows everything. Um, and, and, and I speak of the house of medicine as all doctors in general, like we have to really kind of push against that because um, I know a lot about a lot of things, um, mm -hmm. but I, I've never walked in your body. I don't know what you feel like today. Um, so I, I need to I need to interact with you or you or whomever it is as a person first. And, and then I can get all the data and the diagnoses and all that sciencey stuff. And I can put that around it. 
And that is something that you don't really learn in medical school. So when you really think about like, who are those great doctors who you've just really loved? They're the people who are good at that. Right. You're right. So true. So true. You know, because then you feel loved for and cared for. So it's not necessarily the guy who knows the most information. It's the person who can find out the information that is required, Mm -hmm. but really make you feel like Mm -hmm. there's nobody else that matters as much in this moment as I matter. And so that's a relationship and that's like an even power dynamic. It's Mm -hmm. not the like, yes, you shall do this because I said so, you know? So, so I think that's kind of actually the trouble. Um, the challenge is there's a lot of older doctors who already started practicing. That wasn't a thing. There's a lot of younger doctors and I mean, Getting into medical school right now is no joke, right? You got to know a lot of stuff and it's very detail oriented and it's super sciencey and it may be training some really good things, but maybe it's not training the things that we want the most, you know? Right, so, right. or evaluating. Yeah, things. exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, in residency, I mean, I, you, you would just be so tired. Like the last mm-hmm. thing you would think about is, you know, how can I stop and sit down and center myself to like, yeah, listen. Do, do this next thing. Yeah. yeah. And listen yeah. to this next person. They need yeah. to be in five, Denise. They do. Yes. They totally they do. do. It's, it's so true, but so it's true. really hard. And so, I mean, it ends up being, you know, physicians have the highest, you know, uh, very high uh, substance misuse problems. They have v- abnormally high suicide rates. This is national suicide prevention month. You know, physician suicide is a real deal. Um, you know, all these people, you, your body has to cope with this stuff one way or the other, right? And so you either you find a rec- coping mechanism. Yeah, you either recognize it and you try to work through it, or you turn to something else that seems like it's going to at least make you feel better or numb for a certain period of time. So, so you're right. So people do have to be imbibed, and if you're going to be a successful anything, really, that's something that you've got to figure out. And so I think it's really cool that that you do these things that kind of help people learn how to do that because it's not something that you know, you go and figure out. It's not so, what we've been trained to be evaluated on, to your point. Totally. Yeah. What I, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is this group you work for is actually making an actual effort to change yes. the culture, yes. to teach the doctors what they're not learning in medical school, school right. which I feel is 50% of being a doctor, you well, know, or what you're yeah. saying. No, I mean, I think half. it's a massive amount. And there's so much information out there. Like, do I like Dr. Google? Maybe. Um, sometimes Dr. Google can be helpful. You can be struggling with Dr. Google because sometimes... Sometimes Dr. Google is really not okay. Not, yeah. yeah. Sometimes Dr. Google is not okay. And, um, and, and if you're already frustrated and you've already had a long night and then somebody like slaps like four inches of paper that they printed out at home and you're just kind of like, serenity now, serenity now. <laughs> um, and, and yeah. so that's actually really hard. But, um... You do have to teach people. So one of the things that, that I was really proud of, I, so my real love is palliative care. So I love hospice care. I love palliative care. That's my Wow. Name. That's a calling. It All is right, a well, calling. That, that's going to need to be another yeah. We can We can talk about that some other day. Actually, yeah, for yeah. sure. That's a tough um, mm-hmm. It's really hard, but it's also really freeing because once people sort of acknowledge that they're near the end of their lives, like there is no more time for bullshit and there's like true, honest and authenticity. And if you can like help foster that it can really it sounds crazy to say it can be a really great experience but it actually can um so i felt like a lot of doctors aren't good at that and what that means is what they're not good at is having courageous conversation and i think that's actually when you when you peel the onion all the way back to all of this stuff 
How do you have an authentic conversation with another human being mm. when you are delivering a message that nobody wants to hear? Right. That's tough. That's it. That's tough for anybody. For anybody. Any Not profession, any, any, anybody. Anybody. How do you tell your husband you want a divorce? Right. How do you tell, you know, like, yeah. how do you have a courageous conversation staying true to yourself, but also make, making sure that you're delivering the message that you feel like you need to say? Yeah. So that's, that's not being taught in any no, school. Gosh, no. <laughs> no. It'd be yeah. nice if that started in elementary. That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. But, but it is not easy. Point. It is not easy. And some people are better at it than others. And sometimes you have a little more emotional resilience and bandwidth to be able to do it than others mm -hmm. times. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I'm really great at this all the time. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, sometimes I feel like it's, a, it's that whole like wisdom comes with age, right? I mean, yes. like the things that you would have necessarily probably emotionally reacted to as a younger person. Certainly I did that as a physician. I wouldn't even phase me now. I'd be like, I understand where you're coming from. I feel, I hear you. Like, let's talk through this. Whereas I might've gone, ah, you know, before. Mm -hmm. So that's the tricky part. So let's talk a little bit about people's struggles with the medical field. Sure. I know Amy has firsthand experience from your medical stuff that you went through. And this is, I hear this all the time at the clinic, as far as people go through years of seeing different doctors before they get some sort of answers. Well, I, yeah, I'd say that's important. And I think that's where finding doctors you have good relationships mm -hmm. with is important. Um, you know, in my personal struggles that a lot of you have heard about, I have, you know, a very rare condition in my lung and something I had dealt with my whole life. I didn't know what it was. I had just had things pop up, but then I reached a point where I kind of went off a cliff and stuff just started rolling in and rolling in hot, you know, having, um, intense dizzy spells, fainting spells, migraine headaches beyond, like I'd always had migraine headaches, but like to where I couldn't stand or walk without puking kind of migraine head. I mean, just intense yeah. kinds of things happening. And, um, just these really, really, really scary spells. The only way I can describe them is I would say, is this what it feels like right before you have a heart attack or a stroke or an aneurysm, which I now know probably, uh, I probably have some insight into that. Um, in fact, but here was the thing, like I knew something was wrong and I kept going to doctors telling me we can't find anything. You're having anxiety or are you having anxiety? I'm like, well, not before I had the attack, but once I was on the floor with it, with three little boys yeah, in the house and alone, that. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so it was just really hard. And it took me a long time to actually get the diagnosis and just the persistence of continuing to go until I found the right person who listened to me. And then he found it accidentally. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like mm -hmm. looking for other things and this came up. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's one of my questions or something I'd like to help people with kind of knowing yourself, trusting yourself and finding the person who will listen to you. Yeah. I, ha I have something interesting to add to this because I recently just sat down with my mother and a good friend of hers and they, this was a lighthearted, funny conversation, but it's not really a funny topic, but they talked about both of their mothers having medical issues and going to the doctors, the doctors telling them they're crazy mm -hmm. and the extreme treatment that these women got. And, and now granted, this is, you know, 60, 70 years ago, 
But uh, it, but then it started making, well, my mom thought, well, maybe if she had that, now I'm going to be crazy too, right? right? You think that kind of stuff. And then they are like, well, it was menopause. They weren't crazy, <laughs> right? Well, menopause makes us all crazy. <laughs> so, you know, let's just, let's just put but that out there. it was just interesting, you know? Like, yeah. you can feel like yeah. you're crazy when no one's I, getting... I, I went and saw a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah. I thought I might be crazy. Right. And, you know, they do those intake tests when mm-hmm. you first see a psychologist and, you know, and... It was someone I had seen before in a different setting, so she kind of knew me. And when I filled out, she's like, so you are testing for being a bit of a hypochondriac right now? Because it was questions like, do you feel like you're sick and no one believes you? Yes, I do. I absolutely like every question was like that. So even that was a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and then it does actually kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're like, I'm banging my head against the wall and no one is hearing me. So now my head actually does hurt. Right. Like, you know, yeah. whether you believe it or not. So I think there's two things actually that are interesting in the, what you guys just talked about. I'm going to take the easy one first and that's you, which is the, um, and again, we're still kind of left over from the patriarchy a little bit. Yeah. Okay? It was definitely a symptom of that. So, so hysteria, I'm crazy, hysteria hysterectomy, right? It, like way back when in the sort of the Greek and the Latin and the, the, the very, very old ones, it all sort of came from the uterus. So, so that's all really, you know, like you can, you could go down that little medical history rabbit hole. You know, it's, it's, that, it's fascinating, fascinating and effed up. Let's it just is. say that. It's I feel, some, I feel yeah. some more bleeps yeah. coming yeah. on yeah. here. Exactly. That, I'm trying yeah. so you know hard not to swear. so many stories like So that. many. I mean, no, to the point of like when w- women would receive like electroconvulsive yes. therapy. And yes. I mean, like yes. really, really beyond the That's what the was happening. Yes, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. Okay. So, but that actually is an important sort of backdrop for all this other stuff. So the, the, the people who are most often have the difficult diagnoses are the sort of 40 to 60-year-old women who present with an obscure problem. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it really is anxiety and sometimes it really is depression. And so, I mean, there are plenty of times right. where that is true. Which can cause the other symptoms, Correct. and I get that. But that shouldn't ever be the first thought. That should be... Not necessarily the last thought. It should be one of many thoughts, but it shouldn't always be the first thought. So I think what I would say is like to take yours to like what does a complicated diagnosis look like and how do you work through that um, is one part of it. And then I think the other part of it is, again, getting to having an authentic relationship with another person is probably going to be tantamount to making any of the rest of this stuff kind of go away. So you know when something is not right. I mean, the human body is amazing. Exactly. Right? And mm-hmm. you know when you're off for whatever reason, you know. And sometimes we can, like, it's pretty obvious. Oh, I had drank too much wine last it. night. Or, sometimes you know, I played tennis and I twisted my ankle. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, cause and effect makes sense. But sometimes you have no idea. And the ostrich fantasy is always the very, it's the human nature. It's the first thing you go to. You're just like, well, maybe if I just pull my covers up. It'll go away tomorrow, right? Well, and sometimes it does. And that's great because, you know, we are very resilient organisms and we really can come through a lot. But sometimes it doesn't. And so then you have to kind of, you go on a hunt. And this is when I said, like, this is why I picked internal medicine Mm -hmm. because I love that stuff. Like, I love to sit and, like, try to figure it out. Here's a problem. In the way that medicine is practiced today with your HMOs and your PPOs and your whatever, 
I got eight and a half minutes yeah. to mm-hmm. like figure you out. Like, how is that possible? That was a big part of why I really didn't feel like I would be happy being in a clinic talking to people because I never felt like that was ever going to be enough time for me to really get into it. Whereas in the hospital, even though it seems more intense, there is actually more time because you're not on these like 15 minute, you know, increments and I can really kind of like, I can sink into what it is. And this is what's called being a great diagnostician. And some people are, and some people aren't, but it is all about listening and like really hearing someone, not just going like, Oh, 40, you know, mid forties, female, um, three kids at home, um, husband's out of town a lot. Um, having weird headaches, just, you know, you're like, you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. You're just running down the like ticker box of symptoms. And yeah, those are all important to register, but like you also have to be able to be like, put them together. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I would say when, if you are struggling with trying to find a diagnosis, you do really, it's worth it to do a little bit of doctor shopping until you feel like you find someone who is actually hearing what you have to say. And I did. Yeah. And I did. And that helped. Although I, you know, I'd only been in Austin for about a year ish mm-hmm. at that time. So that's the next question. How do you do that? How right. do you find that doctor? Especially if it's not an area you've ever yeah. needed to delve into before, or you move, people move all, all the, the time, time right yep. now. How do you go yeah. about it? Well, I think that's actually really hard because then you have to also layer and are they covered on my insurance? Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's totally. always like right. an added like pain in the neck factor. Um, I, I do feel like word of mouth is never the w- bad idea because mm-hmm. let's be honest, um, people talk, people know if they've had good experiences. As a general rule, I'm not a huge fan of either the Google or Yelp for medical reviews. I just agree. You, you, and it's so skewed, you know, it's you, so skewed. It, it, it's just not really worth it. So I would say church groups or mother's clubs or, you know, your country club or your pool or, you know, all of those sorts of things I actually think is, is probably the, the best way. I wish there was more of like an Angie's list kind of type vibe for medical stuff, but there isn't. And so it's usually just people who go on tirades and unfortunately they're dissatisfied with some element yeah. of something. Mm-hmm. The back office have, lady was yeah, rude or, exactly. you know, I didn't get my bill. It has, nothing to, do or, with it has nothing to do with the doctor. So, and I mean, maybe it had everything to do with them. I, you know, it's hard to say, but I just don't feel like that's necessarily a really great source of, you know, meaningful information. The other thing that you can always do is you can always go to the medical board websites of any state. So in order to practice medicine in a state, you have to hold a license to practice in that state. Um, and they have a list of all of the doctors and what are they board certified in and what do they do. And so that's a really good kind of place to start. And if there's ever been a complaint. Correct. All of that. Correct. It's okay. all there on the website. Unless, which is more than just griping. Technically. Which is more than just griping. Yes. It's a so for real complaint. Thing. If yeah. they make the complaint and the board decides it's not, then, it, then, it then isn't it's one. not up there. That's right. That's right. It's only if the board has reprimanded them That's right. that you see that. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so those are usually fairly egregious. So if I looked at someone and they had something like that, that would not be the number that I would call. I'm right. just like for me personally. But anyway, um, so I think that's, I mean, that is at least like a source of truth and it's not just people kind of complaining about. It. So, but, but then I, again, I think you just have to like, you have to feel comfortable. Find the person and, you click with. And that may take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will say that most 90% of most diagnoses are very easily made period. You, you know, they fortunately, 
things usually happen in, in fairly, you know, routine patterns. So that is surprising to me. Yeah. 90%. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe it's somewhere between 80 and 90, but, right, but, but, still, but still. usually yeah, I, you, yeah. they're, they're pretty straightforward. They're pretty obvious. And the, and the rapidity with which the correct diagnosis is made is like, okay, that's great. That's, but that's like in all things, care. yeah, in all things, the 80, 20 rule still applies. Right. And that, that sort of more mysterious tranche mm-hmm. is really mysterious and it might take a lot of time. The good news is the stuff that kills you, pretty obvious, pretty quick. The stuff that's like, oh, what is this? I don't feel good. Like maybe harder to find out. Those are the things that end up in that mystery section. So, so that's one maybe little nugget or, you know, kernel yeah, of like, okay, good. well, if there was something like, really wrong with me and I was going to keel over three weeks yeah. from now, that would be pretty straightforward and easy to find. Yeah. If we're going on a hunt, then that's probably, I have a little more time to do you it. That doesn't time. mean you don't want to still do it, but, but right. at least you can feel a little bit more comforted. The other great way to choose um, a doctor is if you have a doctor, you know, ask that doctor who their doctor is. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Because mm-hmm. there's actually no higher compliment you could pay to another doctor yes. than to be like, you're a Easy. doctor's doctor. Yeah. That's a big deal. Because yeah. what does that mean? It means you're smart, you listen, you put it together in a way that, yeah. you know. Somebody in your own profession respects you for it. Correct. Yeah. So the doctor's doctor is really kind of what you're looking for. Obviously, you know, maybe there's not that many of them out there. I don't know. But... Yeah. Those would be my sort of like very broad breaststrokes of how I would go about doing it. I love that. Yeah. And then there are places where they really pride themselves on nothing but mystery diagnoses, right? So the Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson for cancer stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean everyone has to like run off and go to the Mayo or Hopkins or whatever. But, you know, th- those are places where they pulled in all of these well, kinds and, of experts. And I will say in my case, that's where Dr. Google helped me mm-hmm. because once I had a name, I was able to Google and find a treatment center of excellence right. and get myself yeah. there yeah. and say, and I did ask the doctor who diagnosed me in Austin, if it were your mother or sister, would where you would let you them go? be treated here? And he said, no, I would not. I would go to Dallas or Houston. And yeah. I said, okay, I better do some research then. And right. Mm-hmm. right. And so that's where, you know, you kind of need to be involved in what it is that you're doing. Like no one should be a passive recipient of anything, I don't think. Um, but you also want to ask for, um, you're asking for expertise and advice. So it's a, it's a balance right. of both. But, but you have to advocate for yourself. Totally. And I do think it's both. And it goes back to that patriarchal thing. I know I saw in some people in my life, like my parents, for example, who have both um, passed away but went through major illnesses, where they almost just seceded their autonomy over mm-hmm. to the doctor in that same sort of he is so educated right. and smart. It's that and God complex that right. that generation completely. And so there there is a balance between respecting right. what the doctors are saying and also figuring out what Question. works for you and right. um Yeah, because sure it's gotta work for you. It. If it doesn't mm-hmm. work for you, it's not gonna work. So I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it's necessary like in a therapeutic relationship, you don't need to be like arguing with you know yeah. and i think like because i've i've seen some then i feel like where, you're getting nowhere well people are very confrontational like oh you're not you're not advocating for my mom and you're like time out man like i understand that she's your one mom but i am currently taking care of a hundred moms mm-hmm. so what, what do you want do you want your n of one as a sample size mm-hmm. or do you want my n of 
you know, 40,000 people that I've taken mm-hmm. care of. So, so that, so that is a little bit. And so when you're having one of those days where you don't have a lot left in that emotional resilience tank, it's really hard not to get right snarky yeah. back with them, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it, it, it goes both ways. And so I think there has to be kind of a mutual respect of, of what it is that we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, no, well, maybe there are some very weird, weird, rare exceptions. Like we all got into medicine to make people feel better, period. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us put up with the 12 plus years of school that it took afterwards mm-hmm. to like be like, oh, I'm just going to make money and I hate people. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like you really had to really want to keep to do doing it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, and honestly, I mean, I think we're all at a place where we can say there are easier ways to make money. Oh, a lot more yeah. money. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Easier yeah. and a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. So yeah. it's funny. So I was at Stanford in, um, uh, I graduated medical school in 1997. So it was like right as that whole first, like the internet, whoa, yeah. www dot, you know, and all of these people were like, oh, I'm out. I'm going to, you know, and half of my sort of entering class for Stanford for residency you know, when one, you know, when Google didn't even exist, it was like Yahoo and Netscape and, you know, all yeah. of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, they made a ton of money. They made a ton of money. Um, without 12 years of school. Without, without <laughs> like the extra, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting because a lot of them have now come back to medicine because yeah. it's a it calling. Is, yeah. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. know, you get to, you get to make people feel better, which meaningful. And it's, it's, um, there's a lot of immediate gratification, which you don't really get in a lot of careers, like mm-hmm. where people literally are stopping you and hugging you and saying, thank you so much. What would I have done without you? And I say, I don't know what I would have done without you, you know? So it, it's, it really can be just the best. It can be the best and the worst job in the world. Yeah. Cause it takes a special calling to know that maybe something you do, the other person can die. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that. Oh like, yeah, no, the stakes are high. The stakes, the are, stakes high. are high. It's the like stakes are high. I know with my husband being a physical therapist, chances are no one's dying on his table. Yeah. He, you know, if he makes a mistake, that's not right. usually the outcome in an outpatient physical therapy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So not taking that risk that yeah. you're taking, kind of thing. Yeah. So nope, the stakes are high. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, we have the opportunity to make people feel better all the time, and you never even know what part of the interaction is really going to be the part. So like. I've got my big meeting with all of our physicians coming up next week and, and I get a chance to talk to them and there, you know, there'll be several thousand people on the, the webinar. And, and the, the moral of the story is with each and every person that you have the chance to like, you know, take care of and lay hands on and you have the opportunity to make them feel better. I may not be able to fix you. And I think that's important to recognize. I may not be able to fix it. I may not be able to cure it, but I absolutely can make you feel better from interacting with me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Period. Awesome. We'll get into energetics next time, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I you think know the what? beauty of this is you really exude an in-vibe idea when you're trying to deal with patients. Yeah, I guess so. And you're trying to make a bigger change with not just you individual right. as a doctor, but a whole bunch of doctors. Bunch of doctors. Yep. I mean, I think healthcare really needs to move yeah. this way in order to deal with the patients that are evolving this way. In-vibe yeah. medicine. In-vibe well, it medicine. actually is a great... I mean... Mm-hmm. So we did this thing with palliative care and courageous conversations. And so we actually had all of our docs go through this thing where we, we hired medical actors. So they're like real, they're, they're actors, but they, they have this special training where they kind of know the words and whatever. And they act like either patients or their family members or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, we, I gave a whole talk on how to have courageous conversation and what that meant and how to be authentic. 
And then we made them practice in these like groups. So they had, you know, and they had to like present and then people got to critique them, the actors and the other physicians. And then I made, I made a couple of them actually go and do it in front of our whole partnership, like in front of several thousand people. And it was really intense, but everyone was like, oh my God, this is great. And, and it's one of those things where you practice and you drill and you train for all of these things that are really important. But the stuff that you don't realize is probably maybe not as impactful, but pretty darn close. You don't, you just sort of hope that people kind of pick that up along the way. And so that's the part where I feel like we have to kind of, we owe it to every, everyone, everyone, you know, to kind of be like, let the me, doctor and the patient. yeah, let me, let me show you how to do this a little bit differently. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Did we even cover Denise's background? Like we did. Said, we talked about you being an internist. Yeah, yeah, but did yeah. we say like Stanford? Oh yeah. I mean, I've got a nice pedigree. It's yeah. all good. Um, but it's all there, just yeah. so you know. And so I feel like this was a good introduction. We weren't quite sure where this would go. No, you never know, right? I, I mean, mean, that's the best it, it Didn't anticipate to a disco, and so. But when you started a disco, it, <laughs> there you, you can go. only go up, right? <laughs> well, some would argue you should just stay right there at the disco. That's my take, anyway. Well, this has been awesome. Thank yeah, you we'll so much. Yeah, we'll do it next time. Yes. So you, everybody, submit your questions or topics that topics. you'd like to get oh, Denise's intake on. Um, we'd love to hear what you're thinking, maybe the things you don't know enough about or wish you knew more about or something we haven't even thought about. Yeah, and share this with friends. If you have friends that might want to talk to Denise, share it with them and so we can start interacting with them and get those questions in. So. Like Thanks it. for watching and thank Yay. you for coming. Yeah, Anytime. All right. And thank you, Chewy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chewy's my little, <laughs> I use my little love bug. I love that guy. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Invibe Live Conversations. For more information and to join our community, be sure to check out our website at invibelive.com. We look forward to sharing with you.